Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Pogoing to new wave music in clubs is a God-given right, and no one knows this better than Men Without Hats frontman Ivan Doroshuk. He got his revenge on the bouncers that tried to keep his feet on the ground by writing The Safety Dance, a song that truly defined the mood of the early 80s. Was it the infectious melodies and the massive synths that took the song to great heights? Or could it possibly be for another reason that we've lined up in this episode? We're joined by podcaster and musician Ryan Stick to take a deep dive into Montreal's favorite synth pop act. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder So Ryan, I don't know if you've noticed but we've had a very Canadian podcast lately. We've talked about Jan Arden. We've talked about Daniel Powder. We had Word Burglar on. And now you're here today to talk about another Canadian artist. I think that we're really try- trying to bring the Canadians into the one-hit thunder world. So uh, welcome. Thank you, man. Uh, when I was a kid, I was, in, I was under the distinct impression that there was like four famous Canadians in the world. And I was wrong. So, you know, please right. continue justifying that, uh, you know, uh, revelation. Right. Yeah. Well, well, today we're here to talk about a very interesting Canadian artist. We're here to talk about Men Without Hats, which I would assume that 99.9% of the people listening right now know Men Without Hats, whether they realize they do or not realize it. I think everyone knows the safety dance. 
you, it's hard to avoid. I definitely, the first thing I think of is I do believe, and Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this. This song's in Billy Madison, right? No, it's Biodome. Biodome, <laughs> There's okay. a sequence of all of them doing the safety dance okay. through the Biodome. <laughs> right, okay, okay. I felt like it's also in an Adam Sandler movie. If somebody can back me up on that out there who's listening, let me know. But this song, I, <laughs> I got to get into it real quick here. I was listening to lots of men without hats today in preparation for this episode. And I started to develop a theory in my mind about when this song came out and what was going on in the world. What does this song, Ryan, I want to ask you, what does this song make you think of when you hear it? Conan O'Brien. Okay. Yeah. You said, <laughs> you said it's the clip. Explain. So when I was a punk ass kid who just listened to punk ass music and uh, couldn't get over myself or get out of my own way. Been there. <laughs> and you know when you're in the 90s and you see all these like CDs like, hey, remember the 80s? And I'm like, yeah, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But I'm like, that was like 12 years ago. Right. So, um, yeah, I was watching Conan O'Brien and there was this funny skit where they used to do this thing where they're like, we have satellites here and we pick up channels that not a lot of people know. And there was the Men Without Hats channel. And my favorite writer, performer on Conan O'Brien named Brian Stack, he would do this thing where his wife's like, oh, can you pass the thing? Uh, can you pass the uh, the I don't know, the soda is like, you can drink soda if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. And she's right. like, I, I wanted I want a divorce. He's like, you can divorce if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. And so that melody was like there right away. But later on, just, you know, going out more, going to clubs, not clubs, going to bars. But uh, Men Without Hats is so punk ass in its own way that it's, uh, you know, they would play it to kind of fuck with punk sometimes. And it was great because everybody would just get down anyway because it's a, a great song is a great song. One of the things that I kind of picked up today when I was doing research is like, I realized that I know about four words to this song. In my brain, I was like, yeah, they just loop the same like first verse and chorus over and over and over again. There's a lot of lyrics to this song and they're not even that bad of lyrics. No, like, they're cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> hey, Ryan, I, before I get into my theory, which ended up being completely correct um, about Men Without Hats and, and specifically this song, is this a situation where you, as a Canadian, are like, what are you talking about, one-hit wonders? Or were they also one-hit wonders in Canada? I didn't even know they're fucking Canadian until like four months ago. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, they sound like the most European thing ever, right? Their video feels European. He sings with a bit of an accent, too, in the beginning there. And what's interesting is that I was only familiar with, like, you know, the poser level, like, uh, music video version. But then there's a the long play version that has this intro where he almost talk lyrics it and yes. gets a little zany in it and, and that's where that punk element comes in because they're a punk band before they were uh, the band they were even the origin of the song is punk as fuck because they were like this song was written because every time a song came on a club that he really liked like you know if, if it was blondie or the b-52 he would start pogoing and they'd throw him out of the club so that's essentially what this song was written for and I'm like, right. that's so awesome. But yeah, no, I had no idea about the Canadian thing. And then when I was doing my research, there's a song called Where the Boys Are At, Where, where the Boys Are, that is <laughs> littered with Montreal landmarks. Littered. Like nice. with the, the orange <laughs> julep, this big orange dome thing on the side of the highway. If you've ever been to Montreal, you can't miss it if you're on the Cary Highway. And uh, yeah, the orange julep, and it's filled with these French Quebec things called benums, which are this like mascot that looks like a little marshmallow man. It's it's insane. So yes, I cannot unsee the Canadian in it now. Now I'm proud. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, that spoken word thing you're talking about, which 
that does happen in a lot of men without hats songs that I've learned. That is a very European thing <laughs> that, that was done by a lot of the new wave bands and, you know, this era of bands. But that aside, do you guys want to hear my theory, which proved to be true? Yes. Yeah, let's hear it. So I was listening to the song and I'm like, what does this song make me think of? Like, why? I mean, I got to tell you, I enjoy this song. I've liked this song for a long time. I, I, I like the sound of the music. It sounds very 80s. It just kind of puts you in that mood. But I was like, man, if I was back in 1982, what situation would I be in where I wanted to hear this song? And then I was like, well, I guess if I was in a dance club and there were lights, lots of bright, colorful lights. And then I, I started listening to the song more and I'm like, this song has a very hypnotic sort of steady beat and I'm like, wait a second. This is the perfect cocaine song. This song, <laughs> this is the most cocaine song I've ever heard. So I did some research. And I'll give you guys one guess on when cocaine was at its peak use in both in both the United States and Canada. W- would it possibly be, I don't know, maybe 1982, 1983 range? That would be 1982, when in the United States, <laughs> there were 10.4 million users of cocaine in the United States at that time, and 250,000 in Canada at the time, both at peak cocaine use 1982 and that is also when this song was at its peak so i think my theory was pretty legit (laughs) i want to i want to bounce back to ryan had brought up the the origins of the song kind of being you know anti-bouncers kicking you out of a club for dancing there was actually a really good quote and i remember i remember this show there was a show on vh1 called true spin did either one of you watch this show at all no i don't remember it no it was essentially they would pick this song that had a very ambiguous meaning. And it was like all of the rumored theories of what is this song about? And then they would have different like comedians commentating on the rumored reasons. And then at the end of the episode, the writer of the song would come on and debunk all but one of them and be like, no, this is what the song's actually about. So on that one, the the projections were that it was about getting kicked out of a club, that it was (laughs) about safe sex, and that it was a protest song against nuclear war. And the lead singer had this quote to say about it. Well, first of all, he said the safe sex thing. People are just reading too much into the word safety. But then he said, no, the song is not about nuclear war, but it's because it wasn't just a question of being anti-nuclear. It was a question about us being anti-establishment altogether, (laughs) which is that little, I think that that's why I think new wave music is so fascinating because you have this extremely radio-friendly, poppy music, but it is still coming from the dudes who were doing everything in their power to tear down the establishment like just five years earlier in, say, like New York or D.C. or or Los Angeles, and they still kind of have that attitude. Like, I think of SLC Punk where he says, like, I didn't sell out, I bought in, and it's like... (laughs) It kind of was this whole thing where it's like, well, fuck it. If we make the poppy music, we can still sing whatever the fuck we want because people aren't going to pay attention to the lyrics. They're just going to pay attention to the beat. And you get like Elvis Costello writing these anti-radio songs as like hit singles and shit. I just think that that era of new wave music from a lyrical standpoint is always fascinating. And I feel like we haven't covered nearly enough of it on this show, actually. We're a very 90s-ass show lately. So I'm glad that we're getting a little bit of that 80s new wave back in the game. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, uh, you know, how deep that music can be. And it's always fascinating when you hear, especially like music, that song reached everywhere in the world. And yeah. many countries that can't speak a lick of English can still appreciate the vibe it's projecting. But I always found it fascinating when pop music would have brilliant writing and messages hidden within the kind of like, I don't know, candy coated presentation that it was giving everybody. And that, that extra layer is kind of like, you know, like a great blockbuster movie will have those elements inside it, too. It's not just the fluff. They'll have like, you know, those meanings that you'll take home with you, become a better person. Those are the movies and like this, those are the songs that will last forever because, you know, it wasn't just kind of like a, a one and done quick disposable presentation. It kind of had that extra element that said, you know, it had some weight to it. Hey, Ryan, I got a question for you. Mm. As a guy also who plays live music, play live music, what is your overall thought on bouncers? Do you have a positive or negative outlook on bouncers at clubs? It honestly depends, man. Can I can I tell you guys a fast but funny story about sure. bouncers? Cool. Yeah. I've never yeah, kind of been one to piss the bouncers off, even though a friend of my God, I don't know what she did, but every bouncer she saw, like, I don't know. They just they they were never dancing to the same song, and it never it never went well. But bouncers to me just being kind of I don't know a dude who used to wear a lot of makeup and leather pants. Sometimes <laughs> a bouncer was a necessary means for survival based on mm -hmm. where you were. Right. And and um, I remember being in Toronto uh, on tour. We were opening up for a band called Dayglow Abortions, and I was in a essentially kind of a pop punk ish band called rockets away at the time. And I remember like every night, you know, you're playing with the Dayglo abortion. So they attract those punks that just hate everything that has a, you know, has, has a strong sense of melody. They're like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> so I was kind of on, on edge after a few days, I was, you know, the day, the band themselves, bands are always awesome. It's their fans that ruin everything. So <laughs> we're in this club and uh, this guy, this girl smiles at me and, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young, clean-shaven boy, and, uh, you know, walk by, and this girl this girl smiles at me, so I, I smile back, but then the guy she was with kind of notices that. He's like, oh, look at this guy, look at this guy, and I'm like, hey, man, ju uh, just leave me alone. He's like, oh, now he says to leave him alone, getting really antagonistic, you know, and I pulled a card that usually works. Unfortunately, this time didn't work out very well. I said, uh, hey, man, listen, uh, I know the security here, because I did. I introduced myself to all the security and stuff like that. Good move. Good move. <laughs> if shit ever goes down, be nice to every single person in the club, the sound people, the the, the coat check, everything. The best advice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no reason to be a piece of shit to anybody ever no. at all. No. So I say, yeah, listen, I know the security and stuff like that. He's like, oh, really, really? Goes off, comes back with one of them arm in arm. He's like, yeah, yeah, I grew up with this guy. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so uh, then I pulled my other move, which is just like, okay, there's nothing to do now. Be completely honest. I'm like, listen, man, I'm on a Dayglo abortions tour, and I am in a pop punk band. Every single day, I get shit from every single, almost every single person I meet. I am sorry that I said that card. I have a lot of respect for you or whatever. You know, just just saying it. I'm like, look, sorry about that. It's been a hard week. I want to, and I shake his hand. I'm just like, let's just let's just put this behind yeah. us. The guy ended up buying me like ten shots, <laughs> and we, we talked all night. And then later on, I found out that that girl, that's her ex boyfriend, and he just got out of prison for beating the shit out of a guy. So it's like, in that moment, I could have been like. Oh God, my masculine energy is being threatened. <laughs> I must show dominance. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. End it. <laughs> Humble yourself. Shake hands. 
end this thing. This won't go well. And, and I'm really get some free drinks out of the deal. Yes, yes. So I did a safety. <laughs> I did a safety dance that night. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I would say about bouncers in general is yeah. Everyone's seen the aggressive asshole ones. You know, maybe being a too too rough with the crowd. But I do feel like in my experience at clubs, I've had a lot more positive experiences where it was like people were crowd surfing people or whatever and they just help the people off and they guide them down the steps so they can go back in the crowd and I think that's pretty nice so I I guess that men without hats had a different experience with bouncers than most of mine but also I have seen those you know rare rare occasions where the bouncers were getting a little rough so I get it maybe things were a little rough in the club where the safety dance was playing or whatever, the B-52s or whatever they were pogoing to at the time. So I get it. I get it. I don't like the establishment either. <laughs> well, like like you said, like cocaine was just flying everywhere back then. So yeah. many of the bouncers are just like, get out of my club. Could you imagine what the people were like? Could you imagine <laughs> how many fights and people that were just so fired up red-eyed and ready to just like explode i mean i'm sure you could get you could get in the right positive mood listening (laughs) listening to the safety dance and dancing really hard but i don't know i could see that being uh it's not like it's not like everybody's shrooming or something it's like (laughs) it's a club full of patrick bateman's out there (laughs) yeah yeah for sure so you know, I'm not siding with the bouncers here. I'm just saying. It's 1982 and everybody's on coke, so, you know. <laughs> anyway, I give Men Without Hats a lot of credit for doing their own thing. They are so synth-heavy. And, you know, uh, like I said, I have a soft spot for those songs that feature the spoken word parts. Hence why I like the sugar cubes and stuff like that. It's almost like it's a funny trope of the time. Is that yeah. that thing? That's why you love that new Jack swing too. There's always the spoken parts in those. Love songs. it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to a lot of their stuff. Did you happen to check out their only other semi-charting hit, "Pop Goes the World"? Oh my God, did I? <laughs> about the about the choke on my Lacroix when you asked me that. I will say that I checked it out. It starts with the singer Ivan, I believe is his name. Yep. Yeah. Dancing, smiling, and popping bubbles. <laughs> and I'm like, what <laughs> is this? And then a baby is playing a synthesizer. There is a creepy dancing snowman. There is a woman with a bass who is just dancing with the bass, but not playing it. Not even pretending to play it. She's just dancing with it. And I will note that I watched a lot of Men Without Hats videos today. And that creepy snowman makes an appearance in a lot of them. <laughs> That's the banam I was telling you about, the French-Canadian thing, yeah. Huh. I don't know either. It haunts my dreams, but I'm unfamiliar with it, you know? it's uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it has something to do with being French-Canadian? I think so, yeah. Pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what about, there's also the little person dressed like a jester and that woman from the safety dance video, they also make multiple appearances in other men without hats videos. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if anyone out there uh, is a fan of, they might be giants, but within their music videos, they'd always have this, (laughs) this same things would pop up in their videos, like this cutout of this man's head that always popped up in the videos. I don't know if that was an eighties thing or if that was just making the most out of the props you spent money on. So like we got to use these props in like six videos, guys. I don't know what the deal with that was. I think I'm going to say it was an eighties thing because think about even we've, we've done like those previous episodes where you even talked about like go West. 
and the guy, yeah. the guy with his the wrench. wrench. <laughs> that wrench made an appearance in a lot of music videos. <laughs> I was curious about that one uh, because it did chart. Uh, it was in a Phoebe Cates movie that I've never heard of called Date with an Angel mm. that did not look very good. But then in 1991, it sounds like dude, they got bit by the Nirvana bug as well. Dude, dude, <laughs> well, I got to get into this. Did either of you guys listen to this album? To the 19- no. I haven't heard the album, but I know like he wanted to do the guitar thing, and the label kind of said, "Look, if you do if you do this, we're gonna give you like half the money for your production." Is like fine, whatever. But I I want to do it our way, and you know, it didn't work out. But you know, at <laughs> least sometimes 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 you just gotta take swings. And Men Without Hats in general was taking a swing because they were a very early band to be doing what they were doing. And a lot of people were probably going, what the fuck, when they were coming together. Yeah. But Pop Goes the World, uh, I, I, I'm I, a producer of a podcast called The Rockman Power Hour. And uh, Jason Rockman, the host of it, is a diehard Men Without Hats fan. And Pop Goes the World is like, that. it's a concept album. And that album really goes into, you know, all the deep stuff you were talking about before. And it's... um. It's really cool. It's really cool to see to hear albums like that, you know, with whisper singing and it sounds like all happy, joyous, but at the same time they're singing about really really heavy stuff, but the, the, I have not heard the, the 90s stuff yet because I kind of like don't want them to leave the 80s if that sounds you familiar. Don't, but, yeah. You, yeah. I I yeah. I would go even further and say that you don't want to hear this sure, album. Okay. <laughs> I put it on and and believe me, look, I came into it being like Mm. Hey, Men Without Hats is cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> they have their own sound. They do their own thing. Nothing but respect for them. I mean, I didn't necessarily like all the songs, but at the same time, I'm like, this this is cool. You know, but the 1991 album, <laughs> woof. All the synths are gone. Yeah. And I'll tell you what it sounded like to me. This is what I wrote down about what it sounded like. First of all, <laughs> I wrote, it's so, 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 so bad. <laughs> okay. And... I wrote in big capital letters, why? They do cover I Am The Walrus on it for some reason. But to me, this album, I don't see like how this is inspired by Nirvana because what it sounds like to me is a fake band from a teenage show from the 90s. Like okay. if, there, if there was a band playing at the max on Saved by the Bell or something, like it is just not good. It doesn't rock. It's just so average i don't know like if that was inspired by nirvana they were <laughs> inspired by the i don't know what about nirvana inspired that but it's it's just it's not good i don't know so <laughs> let me ask this question i'm trying to think right now and this is brought on by finishing pam and tommy the other day but like historically i feel like when you look at the 90s with very few exceptions was any band from the 80s able to try to change their sound to match what was happening. Case in point, like the Motley Crue Generation Swine album is like borderline unlistenable because it's a bunch of hair metal dudes being like, we're going to be an industrial band now. (laughs) It's like, no, you're not. Yeah, but Generation Swine was my first Motley Crue album. And I bought it because I saw Tommy Lee on SNL when um, Pamela Anderson was hosting and I'm just like, you know, when I remember the words verbatim, he's on Remember the 80s with Goat Boy. And they're like, he was a drum. So, Tommy Lee, what's going on now? And he's like, oh, yeah, we got a new album called Generation Swine. 
And I'm like, and I remember his voice and the way he said it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to check out this Generation Swine. It was the second tape I ever bought. And, you know, music was music because when you're a kid, you're like, well, I, sp- <laughs> I, spent, I spent allowance on this. It's, yeah. it's living. I'm not putting it down. <laughs> so I listened to it a bunch of times. And in hindsight, comparison to any other Motley Crue album, is it pure shit? Yeah. But but it was necessary for my, you know, uh, musical development and finding out about Motley Crue to begin with. So with that, uh, maybe this Men Without Hats, like, you know, questionable uh, 90s album might have been someone's first Men Without Hats album and kind of necessary for them to discover the old things. I like your positivity, Ryan. You <laughs> That is a very positive outlook on that. And I do think that's really cool. And I know that Matt and I have talked about this before. And Ryan, I think it's a good point in the 90s that you would spend your money on something and because you spent money on it you were giving it a good chance like yeah. if you thought it sucked it was after you gave it a lot of chances you know it wasn't like now where you can listen to five seconds of something and be like this sucks I'm, I'm moving on you know hailing from the garrettscape welcome one and all to masters of the media In a land of pop culture podcasts, I, filmmaker Garrett Briones, and my quote-unquote co-host Jack Watson look at the why of the stories we love and figure out why they connect with us. The show is all about loving the media you love and appreciating the underappreciated. It's a celebration of storytelling and also two pals making each other laugh at random impressions and the silliest things you can imagine. You can find Masters in the Media on all your favorite podcatchers and right here on the Geekscape Network. We hope to see you all on the Garrettscape. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Right? I do like the Sharkless. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. What was your biggest... You gave it all the chances in the world, and there Ooh. was just no recovering from it. Ooh, that's a good question. Because I know mine, and and we're going to do an episode on it, even though it's an obscure-as-fuck band from the 90s, but the Space Monkeys. <laughs> the Space Monkeys had a minor hit called Sugar Cane that I absolutely loved and like begged for the album, and I got it for Christmas, and... I think I kind of liked the opening track, and then the rest was like, I just kept trying to force myself to like it. And like the Sugarcane song was like this poppy, kind of like British hip hop song about drugs. And it was like a, a fun, crazy song. And the rest was just like 
D-level Oasis songs. <laughs> like these <laughs> six, seven minute, like attempting to be arena rock songs. And I remember that was that was one of those CDs that I just tried so hard. I was like, I, no, I need to love this because I like this one song so much. Yeah, I, and it didn't work for me. I can't remember mine, but one of my best friends uh, named Big Dave, because his name is Dave and he's very big. We were in like eighth grade and he was asking me, where can I bring a CD I don't want anymore? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and it was Kiss Psycho Circus because he really liked the <laughs> song Psycho Circus, but hated the rest of it. And I never even bothered listening to the album just based on this review. So even at a young age, I was affected by reviews and yeah. I was affected by the fact that music would be so bad that you wouldn't put up with it. And at that point, I was just I was just like, you know, music to me was like an abusive relationship I couldn't get out of. I was just like, sure. Yeah, I got to, you know, they, they have good qualities. There was a time and my friends talk about this. I know I've heard my friend Johnny talk about it. I think I've heard my bandmate Steve talk about it. There was a time when you're a kid and CDs were popular where it didn't matter what the CDs were. You just wanted more of them. You know, yep. like I, I want this collection to be as big as possible. And if someone's parents or something were just like didn't care about those cds and you could add them to your cds it's like oh that's awesome to answer your question matt about what was the thing that you you couldn't get past even though you bought it there were a lot of bands on lookout records in the 90s because oh, i loved operation ivy and green day so I, i'm gonna love this whole catalog and would buy go to the record store and buy these cds and just they were unlistenable they were like garage rock terrible recordings just because they had that label on the back of the cd i felt like i had to like them the high fives and bands like that it was just so bad and i tried to like it and couldn't there is a thing about like brand loyalty like for me it's like i have so many tooth and nail records because like that was my label in high school and I don't like death metal. Why do I have so many death Christian death metal albums? I just bought them because I was at a music festival and Tooth and Nail had a table and I was going to drop all the money that I brought on CDs at that table. I feel like that's the big one. Oh, I've when you have that label now. loyalty. Oh my God. I'm so glad you're shitting on that because I finally remember that yeah. now. I was, thinking, I was thinking about brand loyalty. I'm like, oh yeah, what about band loyalty? And I'm like, man, I lived and died by everything Green Day put out when I was growing up. Everything. Yeah. Be besides Beach Boys and Weird Al, which were my first two loves, which would make a lot of sense because I like music with a lot of melody but can make fun of itself. So turns out, it turns out that those two bands uh, really shaped me. Green Day were my band. I was 10 years old. I didn't even know what they looked like. It was like 1994, 95 pre-internet and I saw one magazine picture of them once and that was a year in to even know what they look like so it was all about the music man when Insomnia came out and Nimrod all those bands but man when 21st Century Breakdown came out and I was like listening to it like kind of smiling and being like yeah oh this is gonna be great this is gonna be great and just I don't know, man. Everything about American Idiot, the spontaneity, the big, large songs that had five songs in one, it just seemed like more. And clearly, they're like, oh my God, here's this thing. Because Doogie came out and we're on this plateau. And then in Sonic, we're back to our roots. But shit, it didn't sell anything. And Nimrod, we're trying to get it back. We're trying our things. It just seemed like American Idiot was their second explosion. And man, 21st Century Breakdown, It's I think it's produced by Butch Vig. And it's just interesting to me when you take Billy Joe, the greatest pop punk singer of all time, and just litter him 
with current-day trendy vocal effects watering down the sheer power of what his voice can do. And just these songs that kind of just sounded like we're untouchable now. We don't have to edit ourselves. Let's not think twice. Let's just put this out. What and songs to- are even on that one? I don't fucking know. 21 gets that it's a whole album of and I don't hate that album but it's definitely low ranking on yeah. my Green Day ranking albums but it is a whole album that sounds like it was written to be songs and movie trailers. Yeah, there you go. Fears people are shitting on Green Day saying, "Oh, their songs sound like other ones." But when 21 Guns, I'm like, "Yes, I know. It sounds like all the young dudes." And I can't I can't yeah, yeah. look past that. <laughs> and another one, sorry. Uh, now that I'm on the hate train, I'm like, "Oh shit, they're all coming back to me." <laughs> oh no, we've tainted them. I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, Metallica saying anger holy shit I, yeah, I couldn't yeah. fucking do it I couldn't fucking yeah. do it I bought it from my friend also Big Dave and uh, for his birthday and I remember bringing it over I seemingly ruined his birthday party by bringing his fucking <laughs> CD over <laughs> because we listened to those first two tracks which are Saint Anger and the other one not frantic, frantic and then preceded by Invisible Kid we just all look dead inside and we're like 18 years old this shouldn't have happened oh man yeah that would ruin anyone's birthday I'm sure Hey, Ryan, you touched on something we have to touch on. Matt's going to love getting into this. Uh, I I was just about to do the exact same segue. Take it away, Chris. Uh, So we got to talk about the Weird Al parody of the safety dance. Not one of his best. I got to say it's one of his worst. It's just he's just naming different TV shows you can watch. It's not it's not necessarily funny. It's not necessarily clever. Weird. It's a Weird Al miss. Yeah, it's called Brady Bunch. It's called Brady Bunch for some reason. Yeah. Look. I love Weird Al, but they're not all they're not all home runs. No, no, definitely not not that great a one. Did either of you guys check out the reunion album from Men Without Hats, which is called No Hats Beyond This Point from two thousand three? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm more familiar with the the last album he put out last year, and then Ivan's putting out another one this year that is kind of like Ooh. a a spiritual continuation of Pop Goes the World. I, I should okay. mention, sorry guys, I gotta plug this. Uh, on Rockman Power Hour, an interview with Ivan from Men Without Hats is the next guest. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's amazing. Minus the 1991 album, we did talk some shit, but whatever. No, no, no. You You're... guys talk some shit. Yeah, right. was... <laughs> <laughs> How did the 2003 No Hats Beyond This Point hold up? Well, here's what I'll say about it. It's way better than that 1991 thing. <laughs> um, it's it's back to the synth, and and back to what they. We're good at. One thing I made a note of is it has... So I listened to this song, which I think is the first single from it, called In California. It has some of the most obnoxious synth sounds in it. Nothing, Not taking anything away from the song, just the sounds they chose were all sounds that if I opened a, a Logic session and was experimenting with different sounds on my MIDI controller, I wouldn't even <laughs> last five seconds on that sound. But they used them, and I respect that. I listened to another song from the album called Christina's World, and that has some insane synth sounds too, but I did like that one. And then I was listening to it, and I'm like, what does this remind me of? And then it came to me in like two seconds. I'm like, this reminds me of the Nintendo game Marble Madness. And then I, I, I YouTube Marble Madness, and I'm like, oh, my God. So then I put Marble Madness on, and then I played the song at the same time. I'm like, this is perfect. And I think that Marble Madness and Men Without Hats is the collaboration the world has been waiting for. And if we can make, <laughs> if we can make this happen, I feel like world peace might just break out. I want to talk about the charts real quick because when I was researching the song, I always want to look at what the charts looked like. The 
week that this peaked at its point. And I would say nine times out of ten, there's always like one or two songs that I'm like, I vaguely remember this, but this wasn't that big of a big of a hit. This is the most stacked top ten chart that we have ever had in the history of we one hit fun. It, re- <laughs> it really is. You you name the song, Ryan and I. We'll take turns. One out of ten. What do you what do you give that song? So so start at number ten. Culture Club. I'll tumble for you. I give that song a six. Which one's that again? I'll tumble bum, for you. Bum, bum. If you don't da, da, if you don't bum, know bum, it, you can da, da, da. you can pass. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm just gonna pass just because I don't want to. I don't ever want to say, oh yeah, that's great. When I don't know what I'm talking about. There's a, there's, there's, right. there's enough of that in the world. <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely in an Adam Sandler movie. That might be yes, a Billy. That's in Wedding Singer. Wedding Singer that pops up in Wedding Singer. Okay. Number nine, Michael Jackson, Human Nature. Ooh, at nine is the right number. I give that song a nine. <laughs> that is that is one of the best MJ songs. Yeah, nine. All right. Okay. Number eight, Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh my God, that is a number one. That should be a number one. That's wait, <laughs> you mean like one out of ten? How do you how are you ranking this? One being the worst, ten being the best. I give that song a, a solid seven. Uh, I'd give that like a nine, ten. I, I love those Jim Steinman songs. They're just so yeah. they're oh, so the, fucking it, epic. Yeah, he had such a very distinct style. Number seven. Donna Summer, she works hard for the money. It's a solid seven of a song. Working hard for the money. That's one of those songs when it when it comes on, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You sing half of it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say like seven, uh, nine, eight. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Number six, The Police, Every Breath You Take, which, side note, biggest single of the year, 1983, when this was the uh, record, I the mean, charts. it's like a perfect song. I mean, regardless of what I think about it, it's probably a 10 of a song right every breath you take yeah you know it's interesting because you know of course being a kid of that age the first exposure to what i had was that was puff daddy exploiting yeah. the, <laughs> exploiting the death of his friend for right. a lot of money it's such a beautiful melody and when even down to the guitar riff there's just something yeah. like every part of that song takes my breath away if, yeah. if that uh makes any sense yeah. And I think it says how good the police are as a band, too, because like I think we could all agree that it's not our favorite police song, but it's a great song. The police just had so many for like a band that I think only really put out like three or four records, like just nonstop greatness on their stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So a band we'll never talk about on One Hit Thunder. <laughs> Number five, Billy Joel, tell her about it. Give me all the 80s, Joel. Love that 80s Joel. Uh, I think Tell Her About It is an eight of a song. So good. I love that 80s Joel. I'm unaware of this particular composition, but I would pretend to to impress Chris at a party. <laughs> Tell her about it. This says a lot about me, but this is my favorite song on this top 10 oh chart. My Number God. four. <laughs> Number four, Taco Putting on the Ritz. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I love, I fucking love that cover. I. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's the worst song of this list. I would give it like a three, but okay. <laughs> Do you I even d- know that one, Ryan? No. I, uh, when you yeah. say those lines, I just think about Frankenstein and young Frankenstein's only vocal performance during the Gene Wilder number. <laughs> it's literally just a synth cover of that song. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> number three, Safety Dance, Men Without Hats. Total Jam. Oh, yeah. Total Jam. I give that 10 out of 10. There we go. Yeah. Was Chris holding his cards until the Thunder Blunder portion of the show? Yeah, yeah. It's total jam. (laughs) Uh, Number two, Sweet Dreams Are Made of These by the Euphorics. 
Euphoric. Euphoric. So, <laughs> sorry, said that wrong. Is this a different version of the song? That's no, not the no, I'm just an idiot. This is me. <laughs> no, this is the Earth Seven one where yeah. Annie Lennox is a guitar player that never sings anything. <laughs> Annie, you mean Annie Lemix? Yeah. from the euphorics <laughs> I, if you're talking about the eurythmics that's like the eurythmics that's, that's the one i'm talking that's about like a, that song's like a nine that song's fucking amazing total banger nine out of ten for sure and the number one song on september 9th 1983 michael Cimbello went to high school with my uncle with maniac <laughs> He's a maniac maniac <laughs> on the floor <laughs> yeah oh that's Not- awesome Another wow. song about dancing. Fun fact about Michael Sabellum, which I believe is something that Ryan and I have in common, wrote two fucking bangers for the 1987 classic Monster Squad. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> wrote the, the Monster Squad rap and Rock Until You Drop. That's the same fucking guy? Yeah. Oh, my God. I never realized that this guy is like my Ken- personal Kenny Loggins. Like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, unless we have anything else to cover i think it's time for the final verdict here did men without hats bring the one hit thunder or are they a one hit blunder we'll let ryan start i think i know what his answer is but uh well i gotta i gotta say it's just well, first of all i we never talked about particularly the music video and i just want to say one thing about it that i have yeah. tremendous respect for they're choosing to do this is that a it was actually shot in england uh, which is really cool because they're depicting England in the Middle Ages. But also, when you listen to the music, all I can picture when I close my eyes is dark lights, dance clubs, big hair, the rest of it. But this video they depicted in a, you know, kind of like a Pied Piper scenario where he is dancing into a town, and by the time it's finished, everybody, everybody's dancing, and there's not an electric anything in sight. So it's kind of a polar opposite of the of the synthetic music, not synthetic music, but the music and the synthesizers. It, it does not look how it sounds, and good for them for that. Because, yeah. you know, I think that's maybe why it stands out. Because as much as I'm like, that doesn't feel like it works, but at the same time, if we're all talking about a song 40 years later, then I guess it did. And I would say that that, that video is probably, if someone said, list the top 20, you know, mm. most iconic videos of the 80s, that video would be in it. And and Ivan is a very, like, handsome European-looking dude. Yeah, he is. So, <laughs> so it's kind of funny because I couldn't decide what he looked like more. Like, he's either about to get turned into a cat by Bette Midler, like in Hocus Pocus, or uh, he is one of the bad guys from Die Hard who fell into a DeLorean or something. You know, he still has his long, he still has the long hair, but you know, you could tell the guy's a star. But a f- yeah. weird, weird fact about it though, his brother was a member of the band at the time, but he's the only actual member of the band to appear in the video. So, don't know what the story is there, but that's uh, you know, an interesting yeah. fact. Yeah, uh, about the song in general. I think the fact that 40 years later, like, you know, any human being can hear about three seconds of it and know where it's going means that regardless of its chart position and its actual day, its longevity knows no borders and knows no concept of time is really cool. And in my research, I was just having fun looking up all the covers that it did. Like in Glee, this uh, the character that was in a wheelchair had a fantasy where he gets to dance with everybody in this mall. And all of a sudden, this guy who you've never seen stand up all season, all of a sudden, he's rocking and he's a good dancer. And this is the first time you get to see the actor and his skill set in that. And then as soon as the song ends, hard cut to him back in the chair. And it's such a fucking downer. But 
you know, it's still this right. great, great song, a great moment. And Jimmy Kimmel and the Roots were playing that song on all their various instruments. And like I said, the Conan O'Brien thing, it's I'm a bigger fan of the song's impact on the world than putting on the particular song in general. But mm-hmm. I got to give it just based on its ability to change the world. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10, fellas. All right. Thunderous. All right. Thunderous. Mm. What do you think, Matt? So, I, I mean, I think when, when Ryan first told me that this was his pick, I kind of was like, Haha, that'll be fun. Like, <laughs> And I kind of went into it thinking like a topic that we've kind of done a semi-decent job of avoiding all in all, like novelty music. Like, I was just like, ooh, okay. Like, this is probably some novelty song. There's probably not going to be a whole lot of rich history behind the band after the fact and like finding out like, oh, they were like a punk band. There was like a message. They had like a meaning to this song. It wasn't just like some weird words thrown on a sheet of paper. They're putting out records in 2022. Like that, that all kind of adds up. And then, like I said, just looking at the lyrics and like I've sung along with this song. Like I know these lyrics, but I think I forgot them. So like, I actually think it's a pretty well-written song. Like I, I think it's just a good, happy song about friends getting kicked out of a club <laughs> by a bouncer, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to give it a thunder. Nice. Yeah, and I would have to agree with Ryan's point. This song has been part of the culture through everything. He referenced a Conan O'Brien skit from like the 90s. It was in, you know, these goofy movies in the 90s and 2000s. It's still relevant now. People still know it. Um, I do think they had some blunders along the way, but in general, they made cool synth music, <laughs> and that's what they were best at. I feel like their only blunder is when they went away from that, and I can't necessarily blame someone for wanting to try new things. I just didn't think they were necessarily very good at it, and yeah, overall, this is this is very thunderous. Yeah, I, I love it, and um, I would say that this is one of the best cocaine songs of the 80s. <laughs> One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing O.C. Era off of the Punchline album Thrilled. Visit punchline.com for merch, tour dates, and news. Do you want to start a podcast? Then contact Chris and I at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Do you wish that it was your song being played right now? Then contact me at matt at geekscape.net and we can make that happen. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app, and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.